once the baby is born, the (laughs) exquisite choreography of hormonal changes that God has built into the birth process and the immediate postpartum works really well. (laughs) Like (laughs) it, it establishes bonding and, and love comes in. And so I've even written myself a birth affirmation that says, love is coming for me. Holy Wild Birth is a podcast embracing the reclamation of giving birth rooted in God's original design, undisturbed. Here, we share home birth stories highlighting God's presence as the great midwife, as well as conversations about all aspects of a holistic, spirit-led childbearing year. From the perspectives of myself, traditional midwife Lauren Hall of Rooted in Eden Private Contract Association, and me, holistic doula and birth keeper Brooke Collier of Sister Birth. To choose a holy wild birth journey is to consecrate all your decisions unto the Lord. And to reclaim creation unadulterated by centuries of human attempts to control and improve upon what God has already called good. Please remember, birth is not a medical event, but a natural process. We are not your care providers, and this should not be taken as medical advice. I'm postponing doing this because I was waiting for some sort of brilliant inspiration to strike, and it hasn't. <laughs> But I am now 38 weeks pregnant, and I really just have it in my heart to, in some way, shape, or form, share a very personal look at my own pregnancy and the story of this baby so far, knowing that later, after he's here in my arms, I can come back and record an episode about his birth as well. So I'm probably just going to end up rambling. (laughs) It's probably going to sound a lot... Like you're sitting down with your friend and she's just rambling about all the things. (laughs) I didn't structure this. I didn't pre-write an outline. Nothing. And it's just me here. I have no one else here recording with me. So I thought I'd back it up first to what happened before this baby came to be in my womb. This is our sixth living child. And um He was preceded by our fifth, who was a complete surprise. We thought we were done having babies. We were trying to close down shop and move on to the next season of our lives. And then um, we got a very surprising positive pregnancy test. Still surprises me. Like, seems so unlikely that she came to be. And there's something about having her join our family that I think really broke us open and made us realize maybe we didn't want to have such tight control over our family size, that maybe we were going to be more open in the future. And I distinctly remember having a conversation this past August of 2021, um, where we just kind of had this talk about like, what about if we did have another baby? What if we opened ourselves up to that with intentionality? Um, And had this kind of moment of agreement after a concert we attended And from that moment forward, stopped trying to prevent and even slightly started trying to conceive. And the first two times, we conceived easily, really easily. 
but lost the first one at not even quite five weeks and the second one at a little over six weeks. Two months in a row, a loss, which would technically be called a chemical pregnancy. And at that point, I remember just feeling like, ah, I thought God was inviting us to open ourselves up to this because I kept seeing this little boy. I know it sounds woo-woo, but I kept seeing this little boy everywhere, like in my dreams and in my waking life and just sensing this presence of this other little boy. And I just felt like there was this person who wanted to come be in our family and I wanted to be open to that. And yet here we are having losses. And at this point, I am 40 one years old. I think that's right. Um, and so just aware, and I think really fearful that maybe my, it was too late, like maybe my body wasn't able to do this thing anymore. So I actually started myself on a protocol of some fertility um, supporting herbs and supplements and teas, and just kept praying and hoping and staying open. We took a break off from even being open to it um, after the second of the two losses. And then the month after that month off, we didn't conceive even though we tried. And then after that, we conceived the one who was now still here in my body. And I think that because of what preceded it, there has been some fear and trembling for me that I have not, I have had trouble trusting that this one's actually going to stay around too. Um, a lot of anxiety in the first trimester, especially. Um, and some topical progesterone use. Not because I ever tested my levels, but just because I thought to myself, I'm getting older. I've just had these chemical pregnancies a couple in a row. And I think that it might be good to support myself in this way. And yet, so time has marched on and he's stuck around. And, um, but emotionally connecting and trusting has been tricky for me, honestly. And it has also been, especially in the middle, like second trimester, um, and early third, I have been incredibly uncomfortable physically, um, just struggling with some symptoms I've never had before, um, some aches and pains, um, things that I just, it just feels harder in my body than it has felt with any of my previous pregnancies. And I have to assume that that's partly because it's my sixth child and partly because of my age. Um, cause I feel like I know more than ever in some ways about how to holistically care for my body during a pregnancy, right? I even have a pelvic floor therapist on board this time. I have my chiropractors who I trust and love. I understand more about nutrition. I've been permissioning myself to rest as much as a mother of five can. I feel like I know the things one is supposed to do, and yet it has still just felt really challenging. I have felt really old and really frustrated and even towards the end of second trimester, went through a stage of feeling honestly really resentful. Like, I'm just like, why am I even pregnant? I don't like this. This isn't fun. <laughs> um, just really cheerfully miserable and feeling like, I don't know how I'm ever going to make it to the end of this pregnancy without losing my mind. Also struggling with a lot of guilt feelings, I think, about I have children who are older now. So my eldest is 11 and 9 and 7 and 5. And they want to have adventure and it was like summertime, right? And they want to go out and have fun and do all the things. And I feel like I can't keep up with them. I just can't even keep up with my own children. And that felt really terrible. And I felt a lot of guilt around it. And um, there's times when I would project into the future of like, oh my gosh, I'm still going to have a kid at home when I'm 60. 
is this really what I want for my future and for my life? <laughs> so there's been a lot of a lot of kind of emotional things to process through <clears throat> this time around, in addition to the physical discomfort. Another really interesting element, which I think I talked about in one of our earlier episodes of the podcast, was that while our fifth birth was a free birth, um, and I really loved it, um, my husband did not love it <laughs> for a few reasons that most significant of which is probably that um, she required some assistance getting started and breathing, which I was able to provide. And by God's grace, um, she is well and thriving and amazing and no lasting bad impact from that. But it has landed as trauma for him. And so he said he was really scared to have another baby because he couldn't imagine having another free birth. Like the thought of doing that again was just like so unwelcome to him. And so we had um, decided, I had told him that I'd be willing to discuss a midwife if I could find one that um, basically met my criteria. So we have a midwife this time again, and she's not the midwife that I used for my first four births for various reasons. Um, and so it's, and we didn't choose her until 20 weeks along about, I think. So it's a new relationship for me. I'd only met her twice before while attending a birth with her where I was the birth photographer and she was the midwife. So she was not super familiar to me. Um, and we've had to just build a relationship from the ground up. Um, but to her credit, I do feel really seen by her and heard, and I can see her really, um, really just working to meet me where I'm at and respect just who I am and what I want for this birth. She's asked me for as many details as I can give her in a birth plan. I feel like often with a home birth, you don't really feel like you need to write up a birth plan because the kind of baseline assumption is that your midwife is probably on the same page with you about most major interventions and such. But um, in my case, she knew that um, I'm a little bit of a free birther at heart. And so I wrote up a really detailed list of preferences for her for each stage of labor and post and early postpartum. And she has been incredibly accommodating and understanding about that. Um, and also very open-handed about my decision to turn down pretty much every bit of prenatal testing that there is. We've had no ultrasounds, no GBS testing, no GD testing. Um, what else? No lab work at all of any sort. And so the only things I've been doing are essentially urine test strips and fundal height measurements and listening to baby's heart, not even at every appointment. And my prenatal appointments have been very spaced out, like more than would be typical. We're not on the classic schedule at all, partly just because it's my sixth baby and that feels um, just excessive, you know? <laughs> That's probably the biggest reason. Um, it's hard to get to appointments with five kids and she has been coming to my house to do prenatals um, a little bit more than she might usually. She usually sees clients in an office in her home, which is so delightful and darling. But she's been coming out to me, just knowing that as a mom of five other kids, um, that's easier on me. So I really appreciate that. And um, slowly, I think, just sinking into trust and like acceptance of like her presence and her role in our birth story this time. Um, let's see. One thing that has been tricky for me in this pregnancy is food. 
even though I know all the things one is supposed to do and how important calories are and dense nutrition and have learned a lot in the last few years about pro-metabolic eating um, and a little bit about the root cause protocol, both of which are, I think, amazing, true and wise kind of guidelines for eating both in pregnancy and beyond. But um, what's in my head and that knowledge I have that I affirm with my mouth and my mind has not very easily lined up with what my body wants to do. So for instance, I feel hungry a lot, but nothing sounds good. Um, and that's been really frustrating. So getting in enough calories um, has been a real challenge. And including some protein-heavy foods have actually even made me gag this time around. Like eating meat, I'll just start gagging on it randomly. <laughs> so um, that's been a real trouble. <laughs> and I'm seeing it a little bit right now at week 38. I just have a bit of swelling and my blood pressure is creeping up a little. I'm not alarmed about it because um, I my, my starting my own starting blood pressure is super low. When I'm not pregnant, I'm usually kind of like in the 96 over 60 something range, like really low blood pressure. So for me to be creeping up between 120 and 130 for my top number and 80 for my bottom, that's high for me. So it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but it's not like clinically alarming. <laughs> But it tells me that I do need to do some work in these last couple of weeks to just really up my caloric intake um, and focus on protein and getting in enough salt and so on and so forth. So that's going to be my challenge until from now until the baby comes. Um, let's see. Um, my nesting process is coming along really nicely. I've been collecting birth supplies for like many weeks, just a little bit here, a little bit there as well as things for the new baby. And they're all currently sitting in a pile in the room that I'm in right now, um, waiting for Friday, just a couple of days from now, when my sister-in-law is going to come over and we're going to do some nesting together, which I'm really excited about to just have her do that with me. Sorting baby clothes, getting the birth supplies set up in appropriate ways that are easily accessible for the midwife and myself. Prepping the room in which I will be probably giving birth and which will later be the baby's the baby's room that he will probably never sleep in, or very rarely, because we do co-sleep, and he will be in our room with us and in our bed with us for a very long time. Um, but still, there's something about just making a physical space for the new person that I think helps open up my heart to more fully digest, I guess, the fact that a new family member is coming to join us. So I'm looking forward to doing that with her and possibly praying over this, this space as well. Um, in all my other pregnancies, I've had a mother blessing, which is, I feel so, so lucky to have had that. I have a sister-in-law who introduced me to the concept when I was pregnant with my first, um, and, and held it for me while she was in town from, um, Pittsburgh. And ever since then I have been like, oh my word, this is so much better than any baby shower could ever be. And I've given them to many, many friends, um, and have received them every time as well with so much gratitude. Um, and this time I have not felt like I was going to pursue one or like try to appoint someone to do it for me. Um, but this last weekend when I was down in Ohio for the traditional midwifery skills workshop with Lauren and our mutual friend and traditional elder midwife, Melinda, um, <laughs> and I drove down there with another friend, Heather, 
they surprised me with a tiny little, like, it was very small and intimate, but super precious and beautiful mother blessing that I did not see coming at all. <laughs> it was the best kind of blindsided. And then I have some local friends here as well who <laughs> we call ourselves the nature mamas because we used to go on nature hikes with our children every week. These days it's a little bit more. We just text each other a lot. But anyway, <laughs> they're also having a little mother blessing for me and another woman in that group who's due very close to me, a friend. Um, so it'll be another little mini mother blessing um, just like five days before my due date. <laughs> so I'm feeling really like cup overflowing to be loved on in that way again this time, even though I didn't anticipate it and wasn't seeking it out. Um, gearing up for postpartum has been another big thing, of course, because that's really important. Like I feel very strongly that we can't just plan for the birth. We have to also plan for what lies beyond it. And I feel like each time we've gotten better at postpartum at our house, I'm really grateful because my husband is fully on board with and understands the idea of like a lying in period and the first 40 days and supports me staying in bed and in our room for two whole weeks after I give birth um, and serves me really well in that space, um, backs me up on how important it is. And that matters a lot. So we are finding that as we have more children, we need more external help in order to meet the goals that we have for a restful, restorative healing postpartum. So we brought on board a holistic postpartum doula who is a friend of ours and just kind of actually at the beginning end of her um, like naturopathic holistic training in postpartum doulaing, but she was a postpartum doula before. She's just kind of adding on to it to be more aligned with the kind of postpartum doula she wants to be. And so I'm really excited to um, have her and to give her even permission to kind of try out some of the new modalities she'll be learning in the coming weeks at her school, which is a naturopathic school. And then we also have my mom on board. Um, we've asked her to play a couple of specific roles for us this time around. One of which is just to take the other five children once a week, <laughs> somewhere other than here, um, whether to her house or on an outing or an adventure so that my husband and I can just be home with this new baby and enjoy a quiet house and some bonding without interruption. And then the other thing she's going to do is come by once or twice a week for a chunk of a few hours and just be what I'm calling intentionally present. <laughs> so just another adult in the house who kind of proactively sees things that need to get done, can respond to the children's needs, um, help prepare food, fold laundry, light housekeeping, um, Whereas the postpartum doula is going to be doing more of what I have called mother care. Um, I've asked her to just really like take care of me and keep my space in my bedroom really sacred and lovely and preparable tinctures and um, just sit and hold space with me and freshen the room and just tend to me and spoil me a little bit. <laughs> so I'm feeling really good about what we have lined up there and all the meal train too, of course. Meal chains have always served us shockingly well. Um, in fact, I have never once stocked up meals for postpartum, which sounds ridiculous to say out loud. Um, this time I actually have. I've done as much as I can with the amount of freezer space that I have available, which isn't a ton, but it's definitely better than nothing. Like I definitely have more put away this time than I ever have before. And that feels really good. I'm really excited for that. I decided to do... Um, freezer meals 
that aren't pre-cooked, but it's basically all the raw ingredients in silicone gallon bags in the freezer that can be dumped into an instant pot and cooked so that it is um, a pretty fresh thing to eat. So it's nice to be having an autumn baby this time because things like soups and instant pot stews and stuff are going to feel and just taste really good, I think. What else? <laughs> what else do I want to say? Um, spiritually, this has been a really quiet pregnancy. Um, in fact, for as much as I felt and sensed like the presence of this little person before we conceived, he's been very quiet and has felt very hidden and veiled during the actual pregnancy, um, which has been a little disconcerting to me. It's felt really hard to connect and bond with this little one. I find myself not naturally talking to him often or, um, I don't know. He just feels really mysterious. And I have been wrestling with that <laughs> for sure. Um, I'm just not feeling very bonded or even very excited. And that's not a fun thing to admit, but I'm saying it because I don't think I can be the only one. So if you relate to that, maybe you can just know that you're not alone. And I just keep reminding myself what I have seen be true so many times with so many of the women I've walked with as a doula or a friend, right? That once the baby is born, the <laughs> exquisite choreography of hormonal changes that God has built into the birth process and the immediate postpartum works really well. <laughs> like <laughs> it, it establishes bonding and, and love comes in. And so I've even written myself a birth affirmation that says, love is coming for me. And just really trusting that, like trusting that God's design for bonding mothers and children together through an undisturbed birth, it works. And I can take that to the bank. Um, and I don't have to get frantic or try to force feelings right now that just aren't coming easily at this particular moment. At 38 weeks, of course, I'm technically, you know, could go any minute, as they say. Um, but I've never had a baby before my due date. My first was 41 and 3, which is like, if you didn't already know this, exactly the stereotypical, st statistically stereotypical time for a firstborn baby to come. So that was pretty, like, typical. Um, but then my second was right on his due date. My third was one day after his due date. My fourth was two days after her due date. And so I was thinking, oh, I have a normal gestation. Like, I apparently give birth in the 40th week. That's probably, like, my normal. <laughs> so imagine my shock and surprise and extreme discouragement and impatience when my fifth came at 42 and three. <laughs> I didn't see that coming at all. And so it's totally throwing me for a loop with this pregnancy. I'm like, okay, so was, was my fifth baby like an outlier and just a fluke kind of weird thing that she stayed in that long? Um, or is that my new normal? <laughs> it's like, because I'm older, like, do I have to hold my babies in longer? I will say this. Um, I know several midwives who have told me that they have observed in 2020, which was the year my fifth baby was born, that many women were just holding their babies in longer. And the working theory there 
is that there was so much stress and fear and uncertainty, like in the like collective consciousness and in our country and the world at that time, um, that we just had stress hormones coursing through our bodies. And as you may know, stress hormones are the enemy of birth hormones. You can't really have both at the same time. So I'm kind of hoping <laughs> that the reason she stayed in that long was because of that and that this time will be different. <laughs> but we will see. Time will tell. <clears throat> what else? Oh, somebody had asked me online if I how I told my husband. So this is backing up. How I told my husband we were pregnant this time. It was actually really unremarkable because honestly, you remember I said I had the two chemical pregnancies. And so I had told him about those in a kind of special way, thoughtful, with a little bit of creativity. I mean, it's my sixth baby. I'm not super creative anymore. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so after two losses, I think by the time I got a positive um, for the baby that's still here, I just didn't even try. I just was like, I think I was like, saw him in the garage and was just like, oh, so I peed on a stick this morning. It was positive. We'll see. You know, I was, I was, I was almost callous. It wasn't cute or creative <laughs> at all. And so he's like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So not, no, no real good story there. <laughs> um, what else? Hmm. Yeah. Naming. We don't really have a name. I mean, I think we have it down to top two contenders. My husband doesn't like one of the contenders at all, though. So it may be that we just have one. <laughs> the middle name we're sure about. Um, it's a significant historical figure and saint that has meant something to my husband and I um, and in our ministry life. So that feels like a good fit. It's just that first name that I'm still a little bit hung up on. One of the reasons is because actually both of our top contenders for a first name start with letters of the alphabet that I already have children with those letters as their first initials. And I don't like that. I know some people intentionally name their children all with the same first initial, but I'm more in the camp of like, I want everyone to have a different initial. <laughs> That's probably the Enneagram for me, right? <laughs> I want everyone to be unique and an individual. And I, naming is such a process for me because I like, it's almost like I cannot name my baby anything that anyone else I know has named their baby, which eliminates, as you might imagine, a lot of names. And then on top of that, I need it to feel very meaningful. Like the meaning of the name matters to me a lot. And I feel like I've gotten more and more um, particular about naming as time has gone on because the weightiness of naming a baby has um, become more and more apparent to me. I think even in just seeing how the children we already have embody their names, I've come to think that um, a name is both like a um, something that one gives to and bestows to one's child, like a destiny that they're going to kind of like live into, but then also by some mystery ends up being just the thing that um, names what is already true about God, who God has intended that child to be. And so it just feels weighty. So I'm overthinking. <laughs> overthinking is something I'm definitely prone to doing. 
Oh, as for the birth itself, um, the plan, as I summarized it for my midwife, is how we want it to be um, a really undisturbed, mother-led, family-centered birth with the hands-off presence of a midwife. So she'll be in the house, but probably not in the room until I'm pushing. That's kind of the plan. And um, I am am planning water birth again this time. I did not have a water birth my first four times, but had one with my fifth and realized that that really is quite divine. <laughs> like the, the water really is amazing. <laughs> I guess that's why they call it nature's epidural. So I am planning to have a birth pool again and have that set up. And if I don't end up giving birth in it, it's not the end of the world. Like I will follow my body and its needs, even if it leads me out of the water and to some other location, that's fine. But I would like to have the option. Um, So that will be there. And I'll be able to set it up under a large window that looks out um, to our back property, which is tree filled and lovely. And hopefully the colors will be changing by then. So it'll be a nice view. Beauty matters. Um, I fully intend to catch my own baby again. Um, I have explicitly stated I don't want any hands on my perineum or my vulva during pushing stage. Like no, no perineal quote unquote support, no massaging and stretching my tissues. Like just no hands, no hands on me at all. Um, and that I also don't want any hands on me or the baby for at least the first um, five minutes following the birth. Um, <clears throat> unless there is like very obvious reason um, that the baby might need some assistance. Um, I don't even want heart tones and respiration rates taken. I don't want anybody rubbing the baby down with a towel. Um, none of that. No hands on her, on him except me, my own, and uh, my husband's and my kids. And I also ask everyone to be quiet, like anyone who's not a family member to even refrain from talking for the first up to five minutes so that the first voices our baby hears are those of his family. Um, I did get a birth photographer again, which I wasn't going to. I thought I would train up my 11-year-old daughter to do it because last time she had a little kitty camera and she took a lot of pictures and that was really sweet. And I thought, oh, maybe I could just train her to use my professional camera gear and she could be the birth photographer and I'll just do all the editing after. But after working with her a little bit and not as much as I wanted to be able to, it just wasn't kind of like clicking or coming online for her <laughs> to the point that I think I need it to be in order for me to feel happy about the outcome. <laughs> so, and furthermore, I started to realize if she was in charge of taking all the pictures, then she wouldn't be in any of the pictures and it would limit her ways of interacting otherwise. So kind of last minute, just last week, I ended up hiring a friend who's a birth photographer Um, So she is on deck for that. And my eldest daughter will probably still take photos, but at least the pressure doesn't all rest on her. Um, Per my usual, I anticipate, if possible, laboring alone for the first while until I'm in active labor. Um, I tend to not even tell my husband I'm in labor until um, it's pretty serious because I just find that for me it seems to be important to be able to find my groove and get in the flow and tune into my body completely alone. Um, And I don't really want anyone around until kind of the end. 
poor him. So he, from his perspective, our births have been incredibly fast because he's only aware of them for the last hour to an hour and a half. Um, I have a feeling this labor might not be as quick as my other four, my last four have been. I mean, my first birth was 48 hours, but the last four were all between three and five hours. So, um, which is wonderful. It's like a sweet spot. And I would love to have it be in that time frame again. I really like that. But for some reason, I have this feeling that maybe this time it's going to be a little longer. And I'm not quite sure why. And I also wonder if I'm going to have to work a little harder for it. <laughs> uh, it's not that I want that to be the case, but that's just this niggling feeling I have. And again, time will tell whether or not that is my intuition or a weird little fear because I think that fear can set in that after having four such smooth, simple, relatively pain-free births that possibly it couldn't come again a fifth time, right? Like that would be just too much to ask. So there might be a little bit of the like fear of the other shoe is about to drop kind of thing going on there. Um, again, I'll let you know after he's born, <laughs> but trying to just be mentally prepared for a possibly longer, possibly harder labor, and possibly um, having another 42-weeker. Um, I just feel like I need to be mentally prepared for any of that. Um, but would be, of course, delighted if this baby came at about 40 weeks in a three to five hour long labor. That's a better birth. <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that's about it. Um, I'm wishing this was live so I could take a couple of questions if there were any, but it's not. So, um, I just hope that hearing this was kind of like at least vaguely amusing and interesting to you. And I can't wait to be able to come back, um, after he's born and tell the story. I anticipate maybe having Lauren join me for that one. Maybe I'll just tell her the story and we'll record it. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. Um, oh, and one more thing. Um, I decided to launch a little bit of a little gift, I guess, um, as I enter into my maternity leave time here, um, which is namely a free three-part um, workshop that I call the um, Faith-Filled Home Birth Challenge. It's a three-part video series that will just get sent straight to your email inbox. Um, and it covers really, um, each day has a different topic. The first video is kind of about like the pain aspect of birth and a kind of a unique angle on that. And the second day is about how not to really need your midwife and just kind of like about autonomy and, and personal responsibility and being your own primary care provider. And then the third day is about specific ways to integrate and invite the presence of God into your birth. And so I've run this work, this challenge live a couple of times in the past and got just really great feedback. So I thought I would just make it in a what they call evergreen form, meaning you can access it at any time instead of having to throw another live event. So if that's something you're interested in, there'll be a link to it in the show notes for sure. And I would love to just be able to give that to you um, for wherever you are in your journey as you prepare for your baby if you are pregnant. So that's my little parting gift <laughs> before maternity leave starts. And the podcast isn't really going to slow down. Um, even while I'm um, kind of on maternity leave, Lauren and I have stacked up enough episodes in advance that I don't think we're going to miss a beat here. So um, keep tuning in every week. And thanks again for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Holy Wild Birth. We hope that you were genuinely encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. If you're loving what you hear, please make sure that you share it. 
leave reviews. That helps other mamas find this content as well. And don't forget to read the show notes, okay? Because that's where you can find our email address if you want to reach out to us and start a conversation. It's also where you'll find free offerings as well as invitations to work with me and or Lauren. We can't wait to get to know you. See you next week. Bye.